Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome in. To the Wine and Gold Talk podcast, I'm Hayden Grove, is joined as always by Chris Fedor. He is freshly off of a nice vacation. So, Chris, you're feeling good. Things are good for you. Yeah, man, it was needed. Um, went to Seattle with my wife, and she had a college friend that's been living there for a couple of years. So, we got to hang out with them. Um, did a little boating, did a little hiking, took in the beautiful scenery. I just don't think people understand, Hayden, how spectacular the views are in Seattle. It's water surrounded by mountains, surrounded by trees. I just can't think of too many cities that are like that, that have all of those different things. Um, got myself a couple of um, Seattle Kraken t-shirts because oh, I love go. that logo. I love everything about that logo. I love everything about that name and the jerseys that they put out there. So um, it was an awesome trip. It was exactly what we needed to kind of um, get away, enjoy some time together um, and away from this COVID life that we had grown too used to by just being in a house by ourselves. So that's my I guess that's my question is that like you guys, you know, obviously you're you're taking you know measures to be so, so socially distanced. Oh, yeah. Like. How was the travel and like, you know, did you have any bad experiences with anything or was it pretty good? No, man. Travel was good, actually. It was better than I thought. Everybody is taking the necessary precautions. You know, if you're at the airport, you have to wear a mask. If you're on the plane, you have to wear a mask. Everywhere you go in Seattle, you have to wear a mask. Um, I would say that Seattle does a better job of the mask wearing than Ohio, from my experience. Like okay. people are diligent about wearing a mask. There was somebody hiking with a mask on. Imagine how difficult that is, right? There's yeah. somebody who is boating with a mask on. Imagine how difficult that can be as well. Um, so I felt really safe on the plane. On the way down there, we flew Delta. They don't have any middle seats that people can use. So you feel spread out. You feel apart from people. And like I said, everybody on the plane was wearing a mask. And when you enter the plane, they hand you a goodie bag because they don't go around and, and hand out uh, pretzels or pop or water or anything like that anymore. Um, they just give you this goodie bag that has water, snacks, and um, sanitation wipes in it. So uh, everything is, is well thought of, I would say, when it comes to travel at this point in time, as difficult as it may seem. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. And it's good to know that, you know, it, it, 
people are you know still taking this seriously and seattle was one of the first spots right i think that was the first spot where the coronavirus kind of hit yeah yeah so they've had it longer than anybody and maybe they have a better handle on it than you know a lot of other places around and there's just so many things to do outdoors right so that you're able to still experience seattle and do some fun stuff and and not feel like you're missing out on anything you know, when we went up to the top of the Space Needle, of course, we were wearing masks. Everybody there had to wear a mask. It was part of their rules for getting into the Space Needle. But it didn't seem like it took anything away from that experience. You know what I mean? You still got right. great pictures. You still saw great views. It was something really, really spectacular. Um, we were able to go to a rooftop bar and, and see all of the the beautiful scenery around downtown Seattle and we were spaced out enough and wearing masks enough. Um, and when we went hiking, we were outdoors. And when we went boating, we were outdoors. So I just didn't feel limited in the things that I could do in that city, despite some of the, the issues that they have had, despite some of the buildings that have closed, despite some of the hiking trails that have closed, like, that's the reality of what you're going to deal with in any city that you go to at this point in time, including where you live in Bay village, in Westlake, in downtown Cleveland, wherever it is that you are. Um, And and I just, I I still felt like it was a great trip. um, Even though there were some circumstances surrounding it that, that made it um, one that was different than what it would have been, you know, a year or two ago or something like that. Well, I'm glad to hear that things went well. I'm glad to hear that you felt safe. And again, I think it's good that, you know, we're learning more and more how to live with this virus and live with each other. And hopefully we just continue to, you know, respect each other and respect our space and all that good stuff. But you are back. And the Seattle, uh, this is a terrible transition. You are back. (laughs) You are back. And the Seattle, the Seattle Supersonics are no longer a basketball team. But (laughs) that's not, that is what they call an unseamless transition. Yeah. Um, but while you either, you were, you were back. No, you were gone at the, when the, when the lottery happened. I was, yes, but I was yeah. in constant contact with the people in the Cavs organization that night, actually. Okay. So you were gone and the Cavs end up with the number five overall selection. So yeah. what were your first, you know, what were your first thoughts? What were the thoughts of those that you were in constant contact with? Um, you know, obviously I guess. This would be a good, in my mind, maybe this would be a good draft to kind of have that pick because you don't, because there are so many variables and you don't want to know exactly where things are going to line up. So look, my first thought, Hayden, was I I think this, this result saves the Cavs from themselves. That's true. That's, that's, that was my point. Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think that's what I sent out to my subtexters. I think that's what I texted some of my buddies. And I think that's what I texted some of the members of the organization after it happened. So I got a couple of texts that night. Um, the first one that I got back from one member of the organization was, quote, all good, man. We're still getting a good player at five. So that was from somebody. That was one of the vibes uh, that I got back. Um, I also got this text. Let me see if I can find it. Um, hold on. Um it's all good. We're just fine. We'll get another really good player where we're picking. So, you know, we talked about this before the lottery, Hayden. Last year, 
I was getting text messages from people inside the organization that, that were something like, we have to be top three. Just one, two, or three. That's all we ask. We don't need number one, but one, two, or three. We can't fall any further than three. And the vibe that I got from everybody after this and going into this was the same. Like, they didn't think it was apocalyptic if if they didn't get the first overall pick, you know? They right. didn't think that it would be a huge detriment to their rebuild if they fell to, say, number five again. In fact, the, a few days before I left for Seattle, I did a tankathon sim. Yep. And it came up with five the first time. And then I did it again, and it came up with six. And I screen-capped the results, and I sent it to one member of the organization saying, Sorry if it goes this way for you guys, but this is what I got on the mock draft simulator for Tankathon. And the person laughed and he said, not a big deal. We'd be fine with five or we'd be fine with six. So that was the vibe that I got beforehand. And afterward, it was the same. So I don't think it was a disingenuine feeling of, well, this is our pick and we just have to be satisfied regardless. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. It just it doesn't seem like there's that. Um you know, as you said, there wasn't a jaw, there wasn't a Zion in this draft, there wasn't an RJ in this draft. Right. So, and I think it's going to be, it's going to end up being a kind of a crapshoot as to which one of these guys ends up with, you know, maybe the best career and, or maybe the, and that could be the Cavaliers. I, I've said before, you know, that maybe this is a situation where they get an Oladipo or get a guy that maybe, you mm-hmm. know, that other teams kind of missed on because they are kind of trying to, you know, hit the home run instead of just, you know, finding a solid player. So, with all that said, I mean, now we get to talk about, okay, what are the situations in front of the Cavaliers? What are going to happen in front of them to where, you know, who will be available for them at five? Yeah, so I think this is why, to me, being at five is just fine for this group. Because, because like, I think if they would have been top three, they, they would have been way too tempted. It would have been Wiseman or Edwards or Ball, whichever one would have been on the board at that time. Like, I just don't think they would have been able to pass up that upside. But at the same time, like, you could look at it and say, another guard, really? Or another center, really? You're going to make a huge investment in a position that continues to diminish in value? Um, you're going to make another huge investment in a position where you already have 70-plus million committed? Like, could they have justified Wiseman? Of course. Could they have justified Ball, Edwards? Absolutely. But for this team, we have talked about this before. Hayden, eventually they have to focus on fit. Eventually they have to look at how these pieces are going to intertwine and, and how these guys are going to fit alongside this young core that they have. And like putting Anthony Edwards with Colin Sexton in a backcourt could be detrimental to both of them. And, and that's the last thing that you would want. You know, putting LaMelo Ball in the starting lineup could be detrimental to Darius Garland, and you don't want that either. So I just think this takes away any temptation of, like, we we know there's somebody else in this draft that's probably a better fit for us, but we can't bypass the talent of one of the big three in this class. And now that decision has been taken out of their hands. And now they can start to parse through, okay, of these wings— the biggest need that we have with this roster, which one is best for us? Because they're all really, really close in talent. You know, Okoro, Avdia, Devin Vassell, Patrick Williams, 
they're all probably in the same tier that now it becomes about the other ancillary things that you have to focus on when it comes to team building. Whereas if they would have been top three, it just would have been a talent grab completely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. So we're the, I mean, from what it looks like to me, yeah. as you said, those top three, that's, do you, do you anticipate that any, do you think that that's going to be the top three kind of regardless of how they go? So I think, yeah, I think the only one that could throw a wrinkle into this is Wiseman. He does not have uh, a lot of fans around the NBA. Um, I think of the teams picking near the top, they probably have more concerns about Wiseman than they are comfortable with him. Look, he only played three games in college. By the time the 2020-2021 season rolls around, he's going to go maybe a full year without a competitive basketball game. Right. And he only had three of those competitive basketball games. So like three games in a year plus, that's not a lot of evaluation. Um, On top of that, there are questions about his attitude. There are questions about his motivation. There are people wondering if he quit on Memphis um, because obviously he decided not to fight the NCAA uh, sanctions that were levied against him. Um, So he has a lot of questions to answer throughout this pre-draft process that's going to be um, very, very different than what it usually is. And he's not going to have as much time to answer the questions that hover around him. So I think of the three, Hayden, um, when you combine the questions about him specifically and the position that he plays, I think he could potentially slide out of the top three. Um, And I think the one who would be a beneficiary of that is maybe Obi Toppin. Because even though the teams drafting in the top four are bad, There are some that are primed to maybe turn it around quicker than you would think. At the beginning of last season, there were people that thought Chicago was ready to make the leap. So if they thought that then, with a new head coach, with a new front office, they may be looking at more of a win-now player. Obi Toppin fits that, right? Isaac Okoro probably fits that. Devin Vassell fits that. Um, Um. And the Golden State Warriors, who knows what they're going to do at number two. They're obviously going to shop the pick because they need help now pieces. Maybe they're not going to find a trade partner. And then it's like, do they take somebody who has immense upside in a talent grab? Or do they take somebody who is going to help them now so that this core of Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green coming back is going to be able to make a run at it in the Western Conference? So because Chicago and Golden State are sitting in the top four, I think it becomes a little bit more tricky um, to figure out the order of this thing and, and the kinds of players that they may want. Who do the who do the T-Wolves take? Yeah, I think they take Edwards. Do you think they take Edwards just yeah. to rip? I think for I think for me, LaMelo Ball is is the best player in this draft. But Anthony Edwards has so much upside, and they just traded for D'Angelo Russell. And I think him and LaMelo are just too similar. And I don't think um, that would be something that would fit as well as you would want from the first overall pick. So I think it's Anthony Edwards, number one. And then with number two, I mean, Golden, you mentioned Golden State could go 
a, a lot of different directions. Yeah. You know, they could end up trading that pick. Would the Cavaliers be interested in trading up, or would they be interested in, in moving it all in this with this pick? I don't think they'd want to trade up, Hayden. I, I think, if anything, they would look for a help now piece. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean that they're going to be able to get one. Look, if there's a, a drawback of, of being the fifth overall pick, it's the fact that this trade asset becomes less lucrative. Right. So I think going into this process, the Cavs in the back of their mind were always saying, hey, look, you know, we have a lot of young guys. We've invested in Larry Nance Jr. and Jetty Osman. We've got them under contract, right? We took a shot on Jordan Bell and Dante Exum. We've used four first-round picks, four first-round picks in the last two years on Kevin Porter Jr., Dylan Windler, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland. How much more youth do we need for this roster? Because of that, I think the Cavs were looking at the roster makeup saying it would be more beneficial for us in in the improvements that we're trying to make as an organization to find somebody who's not a kid, to right. find somebody who's not two, three years away from being a significant, uh, significant difference maker if that guy ever becomes that. Um, does that mean Ben Simmons? Does that mean Buddy Heald? Does that mean Zach Levine? Does that mean Tobias Harris? Does that mean Gordon Hayward? I don't know. You can throw out all those names. You're going to hear them throughout the course of the offseason. And I think the Cavs were looking at it saying, all right, we're going to have this high draft pick in 2020, and that's going to be a very valuable trade asset. Well, suddenly that asset is not as strong as what it could have been. So who's going to trade for the fifth pick in what is considered a weak draft, especially when the Warriors have the second pick in what is a weak draft, a better pick than the Cavs, and they're probably going to take that same kind of approach of let's shop this thing and see who we can get on the trade market. Um, so because of that, I think even though the Cavs are going to explore that possibility, and it makes a lot of sense, I think it's going to be very, very difficult for them to find that ideal trade partner unless they start sweetening the package and tossing in, um, not saying, like, I've heard this, but just hypothetically tossing in Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, or some of these younger pieces um, that they've assembled over the last couple of years. Yeah, I think that when when I first kind of heard when I first saw that it was the fifth pick, I think that was my first thought is well, it, it was like oh well, you know that's not worth much now, um, you know, right. in, a, in a trade deal. I mean, I think when you talk about you know drafting a guy, you never know in this kind of a draft, and I think that's why everything yep. is fine. But when you look at the fifth pick in the grand scheme of hey, you know maybe they do want to get a win now piece, right? That you know maybe the number one pick would have been enough to be like okay, or number two pick as you mentioned with Golden yeah. State would have been yeah. like would have been enough to be like okay, well maybe we don't have to package a bunch. Maybe we can just right. you know either package this in future picks or maybe package a guy that we don't really plan on using much. I mean, but now right. it's like you kind of got to throw in. You know, I mean, that's the deal. thing. It's, it's hard to look at the fifth pick in this particular draft as the centerpiece of a deal that right. Philadelphia would say yes to for Ben Simmons, hypothetically. Right. right. Every single deal that you make needs right. a centerpiece. So that team taking the fifth pick, what would the centerpiece be? Isaac Okoro, Denny Avdia? It would be a lot different, I would think, if the centerpiece of a deal would be, say, LaMelo Ball. Because yeah. I think he has enough people out there that that think 
he could be that type of player. Right. You know, if the Cavs were sitting at number two or something like that, and, and Minnesota decides not to go with LaMelo Ball and goes with Anthony Edwards, which is the way I think it's going to go, like the New York Knicks would have been a perfect trade partner because all indications are the Knicks love Melo. Um, he would fit perfectly in New York. Duh. And they, <laughs> they need a point guard so bad. Like that's one of the missing components on their roster. And they've tried getting a point guard. They've tried in free agency. They've tried in trades. So if the Cavs were sitting there at two and the Knicks all the way back there at eight, all of a sudden you have a logical fit there. Cavs drop down to eight, still get one of the wings that they covet, and they pick up an extra first-round pick, or maybe they center a package around Julius Randle or something along those lines. Um, it doesn't have to be him specifically, but, but that would be something that you could see coming together. The fifth overall pick, I, I, I just don't know which player would be on the board that a team is sitting there saying, we've got to go get him. Like, we've got to make him the centerpiece of any kind of trade. I don't, I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned LaMelo. I mean, I, maybe there's not a player in this draft. Like, that's maybe you, maybe LaMelo would be the perfect one, but like. Yeah, I think he would one, be the one. I think he'd like, be the other, only one. Other than that, I mean. You know, there are questions about Anthony Edwards. There are questions about Obi Toppin. There are questions about, as you said, about Wiseman. Right. Yabia, Okoro. I mean, they're, they're all over the place. Right. So that, that means if the Cavs were to try and pull off one of those bigger deals, right? Right. Um, for one of the names that we've mentioned, they would have to toss in the Milwaukee pick that they own or Colin Sexton or Kevin Porter Jr. or Darius Garland. And I think they'd be willing to in in certain cases, uh, depending on which player. I think they'd be most hesitant to give up on KPJ, honestly. I think they'd cling tightest to him. I've written that before. Um, and, and I think they would, if, if it's the right player coming back to them, give up one of those younger players that they've assembled. But had they gotten the first or second pick, um, maybe the package going out wouldn't have been as difficult um, to assemble and part with. All right, Chris. So assuming that the Cavaliers stay at number five. Yeah. And I mean, no matter really what happens in front of them, because uh-huh. I'm sure, I'm sure there's going to be, I, I would bet that there would be a trade between the top four teams. I mean, somewhere I could be wrong, but I would say yeah. probably more than I'd say over 50%. Man, I don't know. You don't know. I'd put that lower. I'll take the under on that. Okay. Even though the Warriors are sitting there at two, I just think it's going to be very difficult to, to find a team that's going to want to move into the top five in this particular draft. We'll see. We'll okay. see. Well, even, so even better. So then so then this, the draft order stays one through five. The Cavaliers sit there at five. Yeah. They're probably going to have their choice of Denny Avdia, Okoro, and yeah. pretty much anyone not named Lamelo, <laughs> Wiseman, um, Anthony Edwards, and pro- maybe Obi Toppin. They might even have a, a chance. I mean, which one of those four do you think would be the most? You, do you still think that would it be it would be Wiseman um, that would be the most likely to drop to Cleveland at five? Yeah, I, I do. Um, but at the same time, like. I'm trying to go through this, right? If, if right. you do the mock draft in your own mind. Edwards right. one, 
See, I think if the Warriors stay at two, they would take Wiseman. Okay. Um, or they would take Lamelo. Uh, Charlotte, Charlotte needs a center, so they could take Wiseman. I guess like the lowest I could see Wiseman falling is four. So I don't, I don't see a scenario where he's there at five for the Cavs. Is there a scenario where Lamelo Ball is there at five for the Cavs? I don't think so. I don't think so. Is there a scenario where Obi Toppin is there for the Cavs? Yes, I think there is. Okay, so that's kind of the, that's kind of where it starts is with Obi Toppin. Yeah, because you took you take the top three and you assume that they'll go in some order one, two, three, or four. Yeah, I think so. So then, so then you're so basically the Cavaliers' range is from Obi Toppin, Denny Avdia, Okoro. I mean, and beyond. So. Yeah, I mean, what what do you think their ideal scenario is? I mean, what do you think that they want to do with that pick with all those guys? Man, Obi's so hard because yeah. on one hand, you have to evaluate him for who he is. And right. there has to be a recognition that he might be the most polished offensive player in this year's draft. And you can't just overlook all of the things that he did for Dayton. Right. He was the best college basketball player this past year um at the same time like he's 22 years old already he's yeah. already so far along in the developmental curve does he have the upside of the player that you would be looking for at pick number five that i think is going to be the ultimate debate on top of that teams have to figure out what he is and where he plays. I texted an executive in the NBA just because I knew this conversation about Obi would come up with the Cavs. I knew it would. Yep. So I texted an executive in the NBA and I said, look, can Obi play the three? Just throwing it out there. And his response was F no. Okay. So you're looking at is, okay, now he's a four or a five in, in this team build. Well, those are two positions where you feel pretty good about where you're the Cavs. You've got Kevin Love for now. You're probably going to have Andre Drummond. You have Larry Nance, who you've already invested in. Obi Toppin's comparison um, is oftentimes Larry Nance Jr. So do you want a duplicate with the fifth overall pick? It's very, very difficult for me to get on board with the Cavs taking Obi at five. Despite how athletic he is despite how good of a scorer he can be, I, I don't think he can defend. I don't think he can defend out on the perimeter. I think he's probably an undersized five who can maybe get by with some minutes at power forward as well. And that, that to me, that's just really, really difficult. Um, so I, I think, honestly, it should come down to which of these wings do the, do the Cavs like best and which of the wings fit best along some of the young pieces that the Cavs already have. So in my mind, Hayden, the fifth pick has to come down to Isaac Okoro, Devin Vassell, Denny Avdia, or Patrick Williams of Florida State. Um, I could listen to an argument for Big O from USC, although the sense that I get early on in this process is that the Cavs do not like Big O as much as the Twitterverse likes Big O. And, and I, I think it would be hard for them to take him over one of the wings that would be there at number five. Yeah, just looking through like the, you know, the prospect list, I mean, 
you know, some of these mock drafts, Killian Hayes, Tari's Halliburton. I mean, they're they're point guards. You're not going to look there. Okoro again. Well, Halliburton's interesting, I think, yeah. because even though he is like more of a point guard because he's a playmaker, um, like he gives off some Shea Gilgis Alexander vibes because okay. of the size that he brings, because of the length that he brings to the backcourt, and he's a better shooter coming into the NBA than Shea Gilgis Alexander was. So I think that one would be a little bit easier to justify because I think maybe in some lineups you might, emphasis on might, be able to get away with Halliburton as either a big two or a small three, and that gives you some versatility and playmaking, um, something that the Cavs obviously lack. So Abdia, we've talked about Abdia before. Um, you know, he's only he's, he's very young. He's 19. Uh, he's played overseas. Uh, yeah. And he's 6'9". He's pretty small at 215. Um, you know, we, we have discussed this as like a project. I mean, could the Cavaliers again look overseas into another, you know, kind of foreign wing like they have with Jetty and, and bring him into that fold? I mean, you know, not the Jetty. Jetty had some signs early on, and but it's kind of regressed. I mean, what do you, yeah. what do you make of that opportunity? I think it's important to note Jetty Osman was a second round pick. That's true. That's very true. Yes. There's nobody talking about Denny Avdia as something other than a top seven pick. Right. So the talent level is a lot different that we're talking about here. Right. We're talking about a six foot nine point forward type who has the playmaking ability of a guard. And obviously he has to get a better outside shot. But guys like this. These are the kinds of players that NBA teams are looking for. So, I mean, is he 19 years old? Yes. So from that standpoint, maybe he's not as ready. But this is a guy who's been playing professional basketball against either former NBA players or guys who um, have enough experience overseas that would season Denny in a way to get him more ready for the NBA game. So his game, I don't know, is NBA ready because that outside shot is a big question. But I think from the mental standpoint, he's further along in his development um, while also having a ton of upside that you feel like you might be able to plug him in right away. You know what I mean? Because this guy's a pro already. He's been around pro players. He's been in a pro environment. So from that standpoint, I I think he could be ready to get big minutes for the Cavs if they were to take him at number five, if he was still there at number five. Um, Great feel for the game. Great basketball IQ. Again, seasoned, playing overseas. There's a lot to like there. And we've talked about this before. Hayden, the Cavs feel fine with guys... If if their shot's not, quote-unquote, broken, um, and they feel like it's a correctable thing, they're fine with taking guys who have shooting as the question mark. They did it with KPJ. They did it with Colin Sexton. They've helped Colin grow as a shooter. They believe strongly in their player development abilities. And, and Larry Nance is another one that they've developed into a reliable outside shooter. And yes, all of these players individually deserve credit for becoming that. But the player development program of the Cavs, they've overseen that growth. And because of those success stories, 
the Cavs are looking at it saying, look, if shooting is a missing component for this guy, we'll take a chance on that because we feel like that's a trait that's more correctable than, say, court vision or uh, playmaking ability or feel for the game. Some things are just inherent. You know what I mean? Um, shooting is something that the Cavs look at saying we can fix that, um, especially with our coaches. So, again, looking at the small forward position and just, you know, because that's obviously a position of the Cavaliers need. um, And that's a position that the Cavaliers could very much be in the, you know, in the wheelhouse for in this draft at number five. So, I mean, Akamu is, you know, he's big, but he's not, he doesn't really play that way. I wouldn't, he's more of a four or five. It's six, nine. Um, You know, we mentioned Okoro. Um, the next name I'm seeing in, in a couple mock drafts is Sadiq Bay out of Villanova. Too high. I think Too the high. Cavs. I think the Cavs like Devin Vassell more. Okay. Yeah. Devin, Devin Vassell from yeah. Florida State. Look, yeah. the Cavs before coronavirus shut everything down, the Cavs were all over Florida State's campus. Yeah. All over Florida State's campus, looking at Devin Vassell, looking at um, as I said, Williams. Patrick Williams. Yep. Um. They were talking to coaches. They were talking to people on campus, trying to get a feel for these two guys. Obviously, they were watching some of the bigger ACC games. Devin Vassell is a 3 and D wing. He's probably one of the best defenders in this year's class. His offensive game continues to get better and better. Um, this is a guy who, if he can be more than just like a spot shooter and defender, like if he can add more to his game and and morph into like more of the playmaker type, like Halliburton, Denny Avdia. I mean, you have a lot here with Vassal, and you have somebody who I think is very, very appealing, especially at the fifth pick. He's ready now, and there's enough upside in his game where you think there's more to it, and he's not a finished product. All right, so Chris, what is who at the end of the day? Who is your uh, fifth pick over? I mean, who are you? Who are you taking? Who is going to be there? And if he's there, who are you picking? Right now, I'm on Okoro. Okay. I just think when you look at some of the things that the Cavs need, he makes a lot of sense. He's so tough. He's so physical. He can guard multiple positions. The Cavs, for the second straight season, Hayden had the worst defense in the entire NBA. Um, one of the ways to get by with without, quote-unquote, rim protection uh, which could be a problem into the future if Andre Drummond leaves. Um, even he's not a great rim protector. Like he's not Rudy Gobert. Yes. He's not. He's not Anthony Davis. So uh, one of the ways to to do that better is to not allow dribble penetration all the time. Rim protection to me starts out there on the perimeter. Uh, Colin Sexton can't guard anybody on the perimeter. Darius Garland can't guard anybody on the perimeter. They don't have anybody but Larry Nance Jr. Maybe who can guard out on the perimeter. This kid can guard out on the perimeter. He'll take the assignment against the best offensive player, and he's strong enough and physical enough and athletic enough to guard twos, to guard twos, threes, fours. So right now, and, and we've got a lot of time before the NBA draft, right now I'm on Okoro at five for the Cavs, um, with Devin Vassell being a close second. I think he's really, really intriguing. Enough polish and enough upside that's that's really tantalizing for a team uh, that wants to make a leap forward in in this upcoming season. So your 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 top are Okoro and or your top are Okoro and Vassal. Yeah. Um, 
So Abia doesn't make the top two for you. Yeah, he'd be three. Okay, and just I just like the, it's the lack of it's, polish. I mean, it's so hard for me to take what he did overseas against the competition that he played. And for me, somebody who covers the NBA to try and translate that, right? Like, I'm not a scout, right? I'm not an executive. Right. Uh, those guys get paid to do that and they have a hard time doing that. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. <laughs> and on top of that, like the best performances that he had weren't in the, the better competition Euro league. It was in the Israeli league that didn't have the same level of competition. So th- there are some questions that I have about that. So do you think the Cavs will follow suit with with what you're thinking in that, you know, Okoro is there at five, they take Okoro. Where do you think they're thinking right now? So one thing that I know is that there's one member of the organization that believes the gap between Denny Avdia and Devin Vassell is not as wide as it's perceived to be. Okay. I think they see those two guys very close. And I think there's at least one member in the organization that thinks Okoro is the best of that group. Of all those wings, Okoro's the one that stands out. So look, if if the scenario goes like this, if it goes Edwards, Wiseman, Ball, Toppin, and the Cavs have their pick of wings, the first thing I think they would do is try and trade down. Um, if they can't trade down, I think they would take a Coro. I think that's the guy who they like most um, at this point in time. But again, a lot of things can change. And Colin Sexton cemented his place as the Cavs pick uh, in 2018 by showing up for a workout and like uplifting the entire organization. So could somebody have like an interview like that? Maybe, possibly. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Like, what in this environment can they do? Right. Um, you know. That, that can really like, you know, as you said, maybe it's an interview, maybe it's like a virtual workout. I don't know. Right. Right. It's tough to stand out in a zoom setting though. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. You're having a zoom interview or a Microsoft teams interview. Right. It, it's just not the same as, as coming to visit, sitting down with the guy, putting him around your coaches, all of those things. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree with that. And it's, just, it's, it's going to, again, we've talked about how difficult it's going to be for these guys because they've, evaluated so much and now they kind of mm-hmm. have to go back and go forth so um it'll definitely be interesting to see whether the Cavs can you know make a move and, and go down and and then you know enter a whole different bracket of guys or if they are gonna they're, they're gonna stay put and try to put their faith in somebody i think i'd be interested if one of those if if one of those top five or top four do something a little different mm-hmm. like if lamello's there or if wiseman's there or if top is there, oh they they would they would take the first two no problem yeah I don't know about Obi I I can't get a real good gauge on on their on vibe they, of him on their vibe of Obi yeah because on one hand they want to be better next year you know right. they want to compete for one of the playoff spots but at the same time it's the fifth overall pick right so you can't just get I mean I don't want to discount Obi Toppin but I feel like he's probably on a playoff contending team, he's probably like seventh or eighth guy, you know, maybe a yeah. little bit higher than that. Right. And that's because I have legitimate questions about who he defends. And if you can't defend, it's going to be really, really difficult. Even if you do score a ton 
So because of that, it's just hard for me to justify a team in the Cavs position. It's hard for me to justify that kind of player with the fifth overall pick, even in this draft, Hayden. Right. All right. Well, then that's, I mean, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, we'll have a lot of time to talk about it. We'll probably go through you know, a lot of these prospects and, and maybe in more detail as we go forward. I mean, not, not that we haven't hit, not that you haven't hit many in detail as it is, but uh, it's just crazy to see how, you know, what, what are we at? Like two, two months before the draft? Maybe it might get pushed back. Oh, that's right. I mean, free agency right. might get pushed back. The start of next season might get pushed back. Pushed back yeah. The NBA draft might get pushed back. There's so many things up in the air. The only thing that we really know at this point in time is the Cavs are slotted to pick fifth. Yeah, and at least it's something. Yeah, it's something for it's, sure. It's something for sure. Do you exactly. have a guy that stands out based on uh, what you think this team needs? Obviously, they need defense and they need shooting. So yeah. that's the weird thing. Okoro brings the defense, but he's not a shooter. He shot 28% from three-point range. Right. Vassal brings the defense and he's a shooter. So I keep going back to him. He's got both right now. Yeah. Um, I don't, again, I don't know enough about Abdi's deal. Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, I know. know. He's longer. He's 6'9". I mean, that's, yeah. that helps. Right. Know, but, like, he's also very small. So, like, can he guard a four? Can he guard, you know, a bigger three? I mean, I don't know. I, I don't yeah. I haven't seen enough of, you know, that's, that's a question that I would have. And they have a lot of insight into that that I'm sure that I don't. <laughs> You mean small from the standpoint of slight and not slight, as yeah. built as somebody right. like Okoro, who's already right. 225 pounds. Yeah, right. He's no, like, I get yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, it says I think it says six, nine, like one ninety five or some one some around that, which is, you know, that's 30 pounds. That's that's the difference between being able to, you know, last with a guy, you know, who's maybe a little more physical throughout a game or just getting beat up. So, I mean, obviously, the Cavaliers are, are going to, you know put these guys through their own workout regimen and their own thing. But, um, you know, that does scare me as does, as you said, some of the competition that he's played against, whereas a playing in the good sec and, um, you yeah. know, ACC and with the vassals. So it's, uh, it's definitely going to be interesting. Do you have I, a... do, I do think they go, I do think they do pick a, a, a wing. So here's a question because I feel like we're both kind of at a point where if they pick Okoro, Cool. I'm fine with it. Yeah. If they pick Vassal, I'm on board. I like his game a lot. Tyrese yeah. Halliburton, sign me up. I'll take him. Uh, Denny Avdia, I'd take him too. I don't know that I'd take him over a Coro, but but if they got any one of those four guys, I'd be fine. Did I just yeah. name four? Yeah. Halliburton. Yeah. Yep. Any one of those four, I'd be fine. Do you have a nightmare scenario? Oh man. Wow a night like is there really a night no like i don't think there is one like unless they went with like cole anthony or something like that which I, <laughs> which, like, I don't think they're gonna like i don't think they go with another point no i just don't i just don't see there being a nightmare scenario right like wiseman falls to five i mean that's not even a to me that's not even a nightmare that's a, a sh- uh, you gotta i think if he's a five you gotta take him uh I think that's a bit of a nightmare scenario for me. All right, maybe just I, because, maybe I, just because. Go ahead. I don't value centers. I don't either, and that's why I was gonna say a, a Kongwu. I think would be a little bit of a nightmare scenario because so, he's, six, he's like, yeah, go ahead. But to me, if he becomes like Bam, if Big O becomes like Bam, who yeah. a lot of people are comparing 
Okongwu to Bam. If he's that do-it-all big with the versatility as an offensive player and a defensive player, then there's value there. You yeah. know what I mean? Right. Wiseman to me, and I keep going back to this, again, his shot could come. He's so early on in his development. 25 of his 28 made shots came at the rim. There were dunks yeah. or layups. What am I supposed to do with that? Right. It's very DeAndre Jordan-esque to me. Yeah. And, man, that's really, really tough to justify at five. And I know that there are people inside the Cavs organization that like Wiseman. And there's at least one that think he's the best player in this year's draft. But, man, at some point you have to attach value to positions. And, right. and Wiseman, to me, doesn't have that versatility offensively and defensively that Big O does to, to make, to me, Big O a more modern fit than somebody like Wiseman. Unless, all of a sudden, he gets a jumper that, that I'm just not seeing. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And, again, I, my, my, I think Big O, I think my problem there would just be, like, the Cavs have a lot of kind of, of those not – I mean, they have Drummond already. No, I know, and right, but like they have, they have like the undersized kind of bigs that aren't like oh, that a big, kind of big. Yeah, like yeah. I don't know, they they're just kind of ha- they're just kind of like in tweeners, you know. They yeah. have kind of some tweeners in there, and it, it'd be like you add another one, and it's like I think that it just wouldn't. Like that would be my thing with Obi Toppin. It's like okay, you brought in another. Yes, I know. Larry, I mean, that's it's kind of the same deal for me. Yeah, to me, Wiseman, that's at least with Wiseman, you know. Andre Drummond probably would be the end after this year. Maybe he could learn something, you know. But yeah. I just think I think as long as they pick, you know, one of those wings, and I think they will end up picking, I'll be fine with it. I think the only other nightmare scenario that I can think of, I would have a hard time with Obi Toppin at five. Yeah. But I think, I think for me it's less of a nightmare because, like, I think he'll contribute right away and – uh, offensively yeah offensively right defensively yeah that's a whole other issue um and then you got like the kind of good you know everybody's a sucker for a good hometown stories from Dayton I mean I don't know yeah I just man I don't know how a team like the Cavs who is maybe the worst defensive team in creation like <laughs> with with that potential starting backcourt of of oh my god yeah I'm just thinking about this into the future if oh, that's the starting backcourt into the future, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, and you're going to toss Obi Toppin in that lineup too? Oh, my God. Like, you're just asking for another team to score 130. Yeah. Well, they do anyways. <laughs> well, okay. maybe, maybe, they could score, maybe they could score 150. You never know. Boy, I just think at some point in time, you have to find pieces that can be plus defenders so that the, the limitations of, of Colin and Darius aren't exasperated the way that they often are. And, and Obi Toppin does, I mean, you'd be trying to put together a team like the Blazers where you're just trying to win games 140 to 135 or something along those lines. And that is a tough, tough way to live in the NBA. And which they have not been able to do since game one against the Lakers. Right. All right, Chris, I got to run today, uh, right, but brother. thank you very much for joining us on the One and Gold Talk podcast. Remember, you can join Chris on Subtext. Check out Subtext. It is a 14-day free trial. Chris will give you updates as to what he's hearing from the Cavaliers, insight, analysis, and 
It's the only way to get your questions into the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. And I'm sure that you'll have many now that the Cavaliers have the number five overall pick and are going to actually look at, you know, what's going to happen in front of them, what's going to happen behind them, and what they're going to do with that number five overall pick. So check out Chris on Subtext. Uh, again, 14-day free trial, and you'll be $3.99 a month. And uh, continue to listen to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. We will be weekly um, without, you know, uh, it, unless there are any unforeseen issues with, you know, Chris going to Seattle again or something. Like that. <laughs> but we should be good. So thank you for joining us. Take care. And uh, we will talk to you soon.